0: Good evening everyone. Uh, I'm Gavin Freegard, Programme Director here at the Institute for Government, responsible for our work on data and digital government, and it is wonderful to see so many of you tonight. Now I always mean that, but given all of the road closures, all of the extra security, it really is wonderful to see so many of you tonight. I was worried that not everybody would make it. It's been one of the biggest stories of the week, hasn't it? Politics, controversy, tantrums, fake tan, Yes, Love Island has returned, and so for our third outing has Data Bytes. Hands up if you've been before. Welcome back, we must be doing something right, probably not jokes. And hands up if you've not been before. Welcome. Um, I'll talk to you shortly about how all of this is going to work, but a few other things to get out of the way first. First, some housekeeping. we are on the record tonight. I don't think the live stream is working, but hello, just in case we have made it work. Uh, so we are on the record. So if you do say anything, it will be recorded and it will appear on the IFG website. Uh, we would love you to join in on Twitter. We'll be tweeting from @ifg_events, and the hashtag is hashtag #ifgdatabytes. And for all of you in the room, you can get onto our Wi-Fi. It's IFG guest, username IFG, and password visitor. Now, those of you who've been before know that I spend a few minutes showing off some of the Institute's work on data for a few minutes before I introduce the speakers. And those of you who've been to both events will know that we've been talking about ministerial resignations quite a lot. This is, in fact, the first day that we've done a data bite where a minister hasn't resigned or been sacked. So we thought we'd broken the curse, but of course, Loads of the Change UK MPs have resigned from their uh, party today, so that didn't actually save us any work at all in terms of having to update a chart. But our Ministerial Resignation work has got everywhere, including a couple of weeks ago onto primetime BBC One.
1: There's a graph from the BBC. A graph on a comedy show? This is <laughs> first. <laughs> this is a graph
2: of Ministerial Resignations before Theresa May, and here it is with Theresa May on it. <laughs>
0: Uh, so there is the most recent version 35 resignations outside of a reshuffle I did love Ian Hislop's surprise that graphs might be entertaining
3: <laughs> <laughs>
0: and he's obviously never enjoyed the open data mic night atmosphere of a DataBytes uh, event so open invitation Ian if you're watching
3: um,
0: of course in a joke exclusive to all newspapers there was another resignation and June did indeed see the end of May um, this sorry You know what to expect by now. Um, This is a chart of prime ministerial tenure, all the way back to Robert Walpole. Uh, Let's sort of expand the Theresa May bit. In fact, just today, she overtook the Duke of Wellington in terms of tenure. She booted him out of the way. Um, By the time we get to the end... Thank you. By the time we get to the end of the leadership contest, she'll also overtake uh, Neville Chamberlain. So by the time we meet next, on the 3rd of July, for the next Data Bytes, we'll have a much better idea of who the next prime minister might be. It's amazing to look at this chart, especially the sort of middle bit there, to see all of those prime ministers serving two, three, even four terms. That seems unthinkable in our sort of modern political era. One other thing I'm going to plug before I talk to you about data bytes. Uh, We have a new future technology and government project, which has just kicked off, which is very exciting. Uh, this is a quiz we did with some of our colleagues. Lots of initials about various things to do with emerging technology. I'm not going to pick on anybody in the audience and get you to go through all of them now. Uh, but if you would like to see the answers and if you would like to learn more about our project, you can uh, find it on our website or medium.com future dash technology dash in government. So let's have a reminder of why we're here tonight. Why Data Why are we holding this series? Well, we want to bring together the various different data communities who are doing such good work across government uh, in one place and sort of build some connections. We want to show leaders who perhaps aren't as used to the benefits of data what the benefits of data are. And we want to provide a platform for some really interesting data projects and some really good practice. So how does DataBytes work? It's quite different from your conventional Institute for Government panel event. You are going to see four presentations on data projects tonight. Each of our speakers will have eight minutes to present. Yes, that is eight minutes. That is why there is a very sophisticated, high-technology timer on the stage. Um, The reason we go for eight minutes, the main unit of information is, of course, a byte. There are eight bits in a byte, hence there are eight minutes in a data byte. Again, you should know to expect terrible jokes like that by now. Um, Once the speaker has spoken for eight minutes, we will then have eight minutes, yes, eight minutes, of questions from you, the audience. I will start the timer as soon as the first question is asked. So please tell us your name, where you're from, keep the questions short, and we'll get through as many as possible. So we'll have the eight minutes from a speaker, eight minutes of questions, and then we will move on to the next speaker. So this is our third event. Um, you can follow the link here or just go to our website to see the first one where we had Louisa Nolan from the ONS talking about real-time economic indicators. We had Paul Maltby from the Hoka Logo, we're still desperately trying to make that stick for MHCLG, talking about land data. We had David Divitt from Vocalink talking about uh, fraud. And we had John and Sophie from Offgem talking about their data analytics profession. Then in the second one, we had Alex from DWP talking about building a new digital service. We had Sarah and Sam talking about the UK government data ethics framework. We had Simon talking about personal data exchange. And we had RHE Global talking about their noise app and citizen science. So we've already had a wonderful variety of projects. And we've got four more fantastic presentations for you this evening. We'll be starting with the work of the Geospatial Commission. William Priest, the Chief Executive, will be first up once I've finished rambling on. He'll be, finished, uh, he'll be followed uh, by Andy Dudfield from the ONS, he'll be talking about data on the web. Um, if you, like me, are a heavy user of the ONS website, you'll have seen a lot of improvement over the last few years, so you can thank Andy and his team for that. We'll then be hearing from David and Luke at Bayes and how uh, sort of innovative data practices can help solve old problems in new ways. And then we'll be hearing from Yvonne Gallagher from the National Audit Office on the challenges of using data in government. Uh, the NAO has got quite a big report coming up on this fairly soon. We will be back again, hopefully. I'll come back to that in a second. Uh, for our next event on the 3rd of July. So Wednesday, the 3rd of July. Again, maybe we'll actually have a new Prime Minister by then. And maybe there'll be you know, 50 different Conservative leadership contenders. Who knows? Um, if you would like to present at a future DataBytes. If you'd like to pitch a presentation if you think there's something you're working on or you know something somebody else is working on something interesting please do drop me an email Um, but we are also looking for sponsorship uh, for the events in this series Uh, we haven't got a sponsor this evening that's the only time we're going to be allowed to do that so if you would like to see us back here on the third of July please dig deep into your hearts and dig deep into your pockets um, and do email the longest email address in the entire Institute for Government uh, at instituteforgovernment.org.uk, Uk. if you might be interested in sponsoring, having your banner on the stage and perhaps even having a presentation of something that you've been doing with people in government. So I've got 30 seconds left, I'm not going to try to fill that, you'll be very glad to hear. Um, which means without further ado, I will, hold, I will hand over to our first speaker tonight, uh, William Priest from the Geospatial Commission.
4: Hang on, don't start. This is the clicker, yep. Yeah? Excellent. Thank you. Let's see if it does work. Great, I'm going to stand up. I notice on the photos, everybody stands over there. I'm going to move about a bit and stand over here. Um, pleasure to be here, seriously. And it's a pleasure to be, as mentioned, chief exec of the first UK's Geospatial Commission. Um, I want to do three things in the next seven minutes, 33 seconds. Firstly, tell you why we're here. Secondly, tell you what we've been doing. And thirdly, tell you what we're going to do in the next 12 months or so. But firstly, uh, we are an expert committee at the heart of government. Um, We reside in the Cabinet Office, which gives us the ability, as we're a cross-cutting policy area, to work across all of the major government departments. That's really important. We're a manifesto commitment. Always fun being a manifesto commitment. Established in 2017 um, and backed by treasury funding of 80 million uh, in the autumn of 2017 to do good things. I'm going to talk about some of those good things to leverage and realize both economic value and public sector value. How How do we use geospatial data more effectively to optimize public services? So what do we have oversight for? And what is geospatial data? Do we know? Basically, it's to do with place and location. Everything is somewhere, is a is sort of strap line I, I have in my head. And 80% of all data sets are location or place based, 80%. So there's a huge array of existing geospatial data sets out there. And we have strategic oversight for the geospatial elements of what we call six partner bodies. Hopefully those are familiar to, to all of you. Ordnance Survey have been around for 227 years. Hydrographic office around for 225 years. We have a plethora and a history of producing the world's best geospatial data. And in fact, the UK is the, the, the world's second leading geospatial nation. Ask me a question about how we measure that. So we have oversight for bringing together those six bodies for the greater good of the private sector and the public sector. And here's our sort of strategy and plan on a page. What have we been focused on to realise that value? And we started life, as I said just over a year ago, on the back of a digital land review, which was led by the Cabinet Office, looking at what is the value if we could leverage and use and bring together more of those geospatial data sets I mentioned, from Earth observation, on the land, below ground, and marine geospatial data. What value could we realise? Well, We believe there's 6 to 11 billion sterling per annum in incremental value in the private sector every year, if we can do a number of things. And a number of those things are are listed on here. So for example, data interoperability. What if we could bring together the data that Hydrographic Office produces with Land Registry, with Ordnance Survey more effectively? What if we could make that more accessible to more government departments and more of the private sector? What if we could maintain and improve the data quality of all of those data sets to really drive the quality as well as the accessibility? So holding your head six to 11 billion, that's one of the goals and targets we're going after. Not this week, next week, next year, but we have a plan in place and building to ramp up programmes using our investment to realise that private sector value. I'll touch on where that value we think comes from, doing okay. Um, I'm also responsible with my team for some of the key contracts um, that we drive those partner bodies. Um, So I'm I'm accounting officer for the agreement with Ordnance Survey, it's called the PSMA, Public Sector Mapping Agreement. Also responsible for some of the other air photography contracts so that we can be, wait for it, the intelligent customer. So our, our remit is to be the intelligent customer aiding and abetting the producers of the data so they can get that data information out to the likes of you who need it, be it a private company, a local government authority, or a public sector department. So those are the, the, the ways we're driving value. I should just touch on, before I go to the next slide, we, we, we're en- engaging with the whole ecosystem. We're not just sort of sitting in Whitehall, Writing our plans and strategies. We've been engaging really deeply with both the private and public sectors to understand what needs do they want, what can we do better, what are the problems, and we're tackling some of those problems, as I said, in terms of interoperability and accessibility right now. So that's our plan on a page. What have we been doing? Let's see.
0: I'm not sure what
4: I'm excited. I mean, the team's excited. I mean, I think we've done a huge amount in the last year. Um, Just two things to call out. Crowdsourcing. Some of you may be familiar with crowdsourcing technologies. That is fairly new for the Cabinet Office. So we were really excited to launch just a couple of months ago those 10 projects. So keep an eye out for those. There's some really interesting um, source of data that we're capturing from SMEs out there. Secondly, did you see the underground asset mapping? pilots. Really interesting. We spend a billion plus in terms of cost, because when a telco digs, they hit hit a gas main that they didn't know was there. So we're doing two pilots to start to map what's under the ground. Bleedingly obvious, but not been done before. So again, watch out for that. We hope to, to roll out a national project in the next two to three years. And in the last 60 seconds, again, what are we focused on for the next year? High value market opportunities. My boss, John Manzoni, asks regularly, when are we gonna see the six to 11 billion? Fair question. Um, John, we have a plan, it's gonna take some time, but we are focused on two high value sector markets now, housing, land and planning, infrastructure and construction, which will give about 4.6 billion of the 11. We're also focused on natural resources. Um, retail is really interesting, logistics, think of Deliveroo, think of what Amazon are doing. They're geospatial companies. Um, we're also focused on, with my chair, we have a commission, by the way, the clue's in the name. So, so Andrew Dillnot is our chair, a leading economist, and we're looking at what's the best way for us to intervene as a commission in terms of fixing some of the challenges in the marketplace. Um, so, that's what we're doing. We will change the way we all live, work and travel through deploying better geospatial data. Thanks.
0: So can I sit down? You no, still want can. To
5: eat.
0: So, as I said, I will start um, to. I will start the timer as soon as the first question is asked. Do tell us who you are, where you're from. Keep things short. Um, if you're in the room next door and you'd like to ask a question, please do come to the door and we'll try to come to you. And we will take questions in batches of three. So, if you'd like to ask a question, God. put your hand up now. So, we've got a question at the front. Any other questions for the first batch? Got another question there. And have we got a third questioner? Preferably a woman. It's always good to get the gender balance in from the start. Yes, and I'll come to you in the next round as well. Fantastic.
1: Josh Bell from Liberator UK Limited. William, one of your early slides mentioned market failure in this area. Can you elaborate on what that actually means in practice?
4: Yeah, excellent. Thank you.
1: And then we've got
0: a question over there.
6: Hi there, Ian McGill from Spend Network. How much better would your data be if the postcode accounts file was open? Thank
0: you, and then we've got a question in the back row, the front section, just
2: there. Hi, I'm Catherine Bromley, Office for Statistics Regulation. Um, how are you working with um, geospatial data providers in the devolved administrations to yeah. make it a UK wide Yeah,
4: good question. Great, fantastic. Uh, Josh, good question, thanks. Um, yeah, market, market failure is, is a really good question. Um, as you know, I'm an ex-Telco guy as well. Um, we're looking at, I think, three potential areas of market failure in geospatial. Some are analogous to, to telecoms. One would be, and it's not quite the same, but is there a failure in terms of mapping, both in terms of quality and extent? So are we mapping in terms of what we need for, for 5G rollout, uh, for IoT, for AI, for machine learning, all of those are gonna be powered and enabled by geospatial data. So where things are, if it's an autonomous vehicle, is gonna be pretty important in relation to a bollard, street furniture, a building, and so on. So that's, that's a big question for us working with some of the telcos in terms of, have we got the extent and quality and detail of mapping that we will need? Um, technology failure, so one of our, um, mandates and remits which I don't think I mentioned um, is looking at future technologies so in parallel to doing our five-year geospatial national plan um, we're doing a future tech review as well so we we are looking at and studying where do where do we help and where can we intervene to help to innovate the geospatial marketplace in the UK so we can help the export market and we can attract inward investment so that's not necessarily a failure but it's about stimulating and enabling a central government Um, Failure of skills. Um, One of the big, big legacy areas me and my team would like to focus on and leave behind potentially is skills. Governments done a great amount of work in terms of DDAT and the DDAT profession, data and digital and technology. Um, Four to 8,000, I think, DDAT professions in government. There's 400 geographers growing, but much less. Geospatial is the the convergence, I think, of data and digital and geography, i.e. place, in terms of digitization of place. So we're looking at and working very hard with other government departments on skills from the school curriculum up through university uh, curriculum, up through apprenticeships and on the job training. So it's kind of the core mapping as a, as a failure and opportunity, technology and skills. Long answer, but that's, that's sort of top of my mind. Um, yes, <laughs> I think the, it's, a, it's a burning question. Um, we're not going to sort of fix that right now. This is the postcode file, um, which we outsourced, sold off. Is that what you're referring to? Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it, it's an area in terms of we're, looking, we're not going to buy it back. Is this being live streamed? Where's this going? Um, we're aware of the issue. We're aware of the issue. We're looking at it. We're talking to those parties involved. Um, what do you? I mean, maybe not now, but I'm interested to know what you think are the barriers and what. Could be improved. It's more about how much better we Yeah. I
6: mean, not, I
5: don't
4: know, would it be We're not hearing it as. Um, the, I mentioned the digital land review, there were 21 barriers, things we could do better. Um, there, there are 20 other things we're focused on grit, grit in the system, friction, interoperability, accessibility, using the data we've got, sharing the data we've got, all those kind of things. But it's it's on our sort of, it's on our radar for sure. That didn't really answer the question, but the DAs are part of the commission. Um, So the DAs, it's a devolved um, policy area, so we're working very closely with Wales, Scotland, and Northern Ireland, and they have observer status on the commission. So we do work very closely with them. One of my team is in Belfast on Friday, so we, we engage. I'm in Wales next week, so we're working very closely with the devolved. Fantastic, okay. we've, got time three for another, yeah,
0: sure. we've got time for another set of questions. I'm going to come to you first, um, then we'll come to you next. And anyone wants to ask the third question? If you're in the room next door and you'd like to ask a question, come to the door. And we've got one over there as well. So it's one, two, and three. Hiya. Oh, yeah. So um, yeah, I'm working in insurance.
7: And I just wondered, yeah. when you talk about the accessibility of this, yeah. I know one of the hugest barriers is going to be how easy it is to use what how have you pulled all those data sources together into one coherent tool? And I just wanted to know how you thought about doing that. Thank you. Um,
6: uh, looking at the crowdsourcing, um, you mentioned it's the first time the Cabinet Office has I'm, done that. I'm guessing. Um, and so what have you learned from undertaking that exercise? Did it generate true innovation, things that you wouldn't have otherwise mm, have mm, encountered? Mm,
0: mm, mm. Good question. And then just... Uh,
7: uh, Simon Briscoe, an independent consultant. Uh, you say you're going to produce outputs for public sector companies, uh, for the public sector Pri- and private sector companies. Yeah. Will you do anything for ordinary people and, and yeah. for the public good? Because most of those bodies you note as your partners are notorious for not sharing anything which ever. Is, which is why we're here. At all. Um,
4: Thank you.
3: <laughs>
4: Tell it how you mean it, but it's, uh, I, I take the point. Um, to, again, good question. Um, insurance, we, I've met a number of insurance companies. One has 4,000 geospatial people, I have 40. So you, again, you could say geospatial, in, in, insurance companies are geospatial companies. In terms of you know, flood prediction, flood protection, and the insurance associated with risk it's all to do with geospatial information. So we are talking to them and others about the joining up and the interoperability of data sets. Is there a holy grail about one single tool or app? Maybe. We're looking at that. That's not this week's challenge. But, you know, a hub of hubs or a portal of portals, a single platform is, is certainly something that we are exploring, exploring in terms of our policy and strategy. A good analogy um, where I've spent some time with my colleague Tim is in the US. So the defense intelligence have done, you know, kind of brought this together because they kind of have had to. So there are there are analogies in terms of bringing geospatial to data in a singularity of a platform. Um, It's not happened here yet, but we are, I think it's more about open source APIs, application based, and therefore more open so everybody has access to it. Be it, be it local authority, public sector, or, or a private user. That is what we're focused on, which kind of answers your question, but I'll come back to it. Okay, it's early days on crowdsourcing. You know, it's, we're running it through Innovate UK, who many of you may know. Um, and we had great interest to begin with. You know, so we had a long list. We came down to those 10, um, you know, it's literally a month old. So kind of, can I come back in a, six months when we're done and I'll feed back on it. But I'm really excited by that because, you know, I've personally not worked on a crowdsourcing initiative before. This is for the greater good. You are absolutely right. Um, some of those partner bodies have commercial models. Ordnance Survey, this is not a secret, has a commercial model. You know, we task them to provide public information, but they also have a commercial venture and a commercial arm. We've got to be cognizant of that and we've got to work within that. We are absolutely about more open data. We, we, we have a project called Open Up Master map, which is opening up more of the Ordnance Survey's master map data now, and that will, that will come on stream later this year. So that, that was our first policy commitment last May. So again, I'll come back later this year and explain how we're doing on that, how we're doing on crowdsourcing. I think I'm out of time, Really, apologies.
0: Thank you very much, and thanks for the great questions as well.
5: Thank <laughs> <laughs> you.
0: So, next up we have Andy from the Aweness.
1: Hopefully, myself, uh,
7: so I've got no music unfortunately, um, so all motivational videos or mentions of billions so we're going to change the tone slightly. got a little bit more brighter colors though so maybe we we'll go into that. So um, I am uh, Andrew Dudford. Um, uh, my surname is Mr. Underscore Dudders if you want to follow me. I talk about principally uh, opening the data saving the world, the football team Exeter City, and nerdily about cycling so the Venn diagram is probably just me, but if anyone is interested, in um, that, you can of me. And that's me, you can write that book out. Um, so I, wanted, I was asked to talk uh, by Gavin about um, the data, the web and data and making data part of the web. And I currently am chief publishing officer at ONS. I'll talk about a little bit more about the ONS side of things um, in a moment about how that connects together. But um, I wanted to start by emphasizing something about the web And the fact that the web is fantastic, the web is this beautiful thing, and I don't think we necessarily take the time to remember that. It's this democratic medium. Over half of the population of the world have access to most of the information we've ever created. That's an amazing thing, and I think sometimes we just need to remember that that is part of what a lot of people in this room are responsible for. We are here to try and make these things better, and certainly those of us who work in the civil service have a real mandate to remember this Um, And so I'm going to do a little bit of a tour of some of the bits of the web that I've been involved in, um, how I broke some of them, and then how I'm trying to make that a little bit better in the future. Um, So one of the first jobs I had was uh, running uh, uh, part of the Doctor Who website for the BBC. Um, I currently am responsible for publishing uh, employment numbers and GDP at 9.30 in the morning. If that goes wrong, things are very bad. It is not as bad as the time when I published the wrong Dalek picture. <laughs> My word, people will tell you about that when you do that. But the interesting thing for me about um, when I was working on Doctor Who was I was having fun. We were doing lots of creative things and we were doing lots of stuff with horrible JavaScript all over the place and we were messing around. And I was able to do this because the BBC at the time had this amazing project um, called Slash Programs where they were creating a single page for every episode of everything that was ever broadcast. So we knew we had these lovely canonical references so you could always point to things. And so I was able to play around and do these kind of things. It was really hard to find this now because this is pretty much fallen off the internet and that might be okay, but over time things change. So after um, I did various things, I started working for this organization called uh, WildScreen. Um, And that was a charity that David Attenborough had set up to try and collate all of... um, natural history video information for broadcasters around the world and images put it in one place so that everybody could access this amazing information that is no longer available online because rights are complicated and infrastructure is expensive and charities are difficult to run so that's another thing to remember that working in this kind of space stuff doesn't necessarily have longevity so to try and kind of think about how i could get better at that i went back to the bbc and i worked on the bbc archive an amazing project, um, sort of real kid in the sweet shop kind of stuff, but unfortunately the BBC's archive page has no longer been updated because it has been archived. So <laughs> these are the kind of challenges that the web has over time. Um, so when I was working at the BBC, I was very lucky to work with this man, um, if you don't recognise him, that's a guy called Tony Aggie, I would recommend uh, immediately Googling after this, the story plus t- Tony Aggie, trying this amazing presentation again about his career. Um, The BBC Archive team is an amazing group of people. Tony was the leader of it. There are lots of incredible people who worked in that team, many of whom are still at the BBC. That's the reason why I still believe the BBC is an amazing place. But Tony had this view about lists. Lists are really important, and that's something that's kind of been um, really on my mind recently, about the importance of making sure that we remember things and have proper lists around them. And the web is really good for lists. We can write things down, we can remember how they work. Um, And so after I left the BBC Archive, to ONS. Now ONS is a wonderful organization and I was very lucky to join ONS just after it had launched a new website so they've done an awful lot of work and I was asked to take on that website and consider how we could start to make further improvements to it. And One of the really key things that came through to me is that ONS has this amazing information that a lot of people make lots of very important choices on. The ONS is empowered to run a census that decides where hospitals get built. Really kind of important societal things. And we need to make sure that that information that's produced by that organization is available to the right people to use in the right ways at the right time. There is a challenge, um, and that is this. <laughs> um, uh, because the world works on Excel. And I don't mean just, it's kind of like a cutesy thing to say, oh yeah, there's Excel. But I mean everything in government runs on Excel. And the problem is that everything has conditional formatting in it. So <laughs> everything in some spreadsheets sort of will be capped kind of like pink, sometimes up sometimes it'll have red behind it, sometimes it'll have different things, and that is problematic. It's really hard to make data available to lots of people when it's in these different sources, and that's something that I've been spending time and effort and energy thinking about, how do we ensure that this stuff is the most ava- is available in the best ways? And Excel is, at times, the best way to distribute that information. There's absolutely nothing wrong with Excel in, that, in some contexts. In other contexts, it's completely the wrong way of distributing the information. So working out and making sure we've got different ways through that is extremely important. Um, But also, I feel a little bit like I'm just here sort of um, talking about this stuff time and time again. The idea of taking information out of spreadsheets and making it part of web, having programming interfaces, making sure that this information is there. I'm not the first person to have this idea. ONS are not the first people to think about this. This isn't even the first attempt that ONS has made to do this. So I'm really kind of doing a lot of time thinking at the moment, How do we break through this idea that this is a problem that we need to solve and how do we collectively get better at it and I've been thinking quite a lot about uh, this quote actually which I found when I was looking for that picture of Tony Aggie um, which is about we need to try and take these ideas out so I spend a lot of my time talking to the same small community of people I worry that my um, sphere is too small about the people I'm engaging with and that there is a wider collection of people who have to buy into this idea of making ev- information available is being so important. Um, and so at ONS, we've been doing some work in this area. We've taken a lot of the spreadsheets that we have. ONS is doing some amazing work, I think. I'm really excited to do proper processing of the information, building out data infrastructure so it's not based on Excel. It has proper data warehousing. It's using the right techniques. But in the short term, we're taking some of the information produced by ONS. We're tidying up those spreadsheets. We're running them for a collection so that there are consistent ways that they're described, which means that over time, it becomes easier to move around the ONS website. We can make the metadata of what's inside those Excel files available, so that we don't have to have people downloading information from our website to find out what's contained within it, just to make that whole process easier and simpler. It's a time-consuming thing. We've been spending the best part of 18 months trying to do this, but parts of these services are available in beta, I think through the magic of this wonderfully process someone is going to tweet out a link as I say that so please do check that out on the the hashtag that was described earlier. Um, And so also it means that we can do things like produce APIs. These are really important because technical people want to use them but they're also really important that an API can give an answer which means that people like Google can do really important things like searching for the population of the UK gives you a number you're not coming to our site but you are getting data that we're providing and I think that's the kind of thing where we can have a massive, massive impact. Um, but also we need to remember that data quality is always gonna show up through these things. It's population pyramid for Exeter, the greatest city in the world. And we can see that there's been some um, sort of reasons of disclosure probably, that the number of females aged 90 plus has been put into a single thing rather than a single year of age. We have to remember to have context with the information we're providing, even when it's programmatically thinking about the metadata that's associated with these records so that people know how they can make their decisions based on the information we provide. Um, Also, trying to do this and think about how it can go not just in ONS, but across something called the Government Statistical Service. ONS only produces about half of the statistics in the UK, so if you want to look at something like the impact of an aging population on society, you need to go to lots of different sources. I'm really interested in working across the GSS, um, and that's a project that hopefully we'll have more on soon. Um, And also, just a kind of a final thing we can all do this, the web is ours, there's no kind of like center to the web, that's a really important thing. There's no little bit with all the ninjas inside who are doing all the clever stuff. It's, it's our responsibility. <laughs> so all of us have to think about how we can do this. And there's lots of conversations, people will show you lots of things tonight with programs and project boards and big PowerPoint presentations and swanky things. I would just ask, take your time and think, is the work you're doing actually making the web better and making things better for your user? because I think that's an absolutely vital thing. Uh, thank you very much. We're hiring things like a job.
0: Thank you very much, Andy. Do we have any questions for Andy? I'm sure there must be lots. We've got one over there. Again, I'll take them in batches of three. We've got a couple more questions. Yep, down here. and. One more? Excellent. Uh, so if we start over
1: there. Hi. Um, just wanted to sort of reflect on your uh, everything is an Excel uh-huh. um, and whether you could expand a bit about why you think that is. Oh, sorry. I'm Ed Parks. I work with government departments on, on, on data. <coughs> and then down here.
2: Hi, Smeelang Harris from the Legal Education Foundation. Um, two questions, which I'll try to keep quick. First is whether you've been thinking about things like um, equalities duties in your reorganising or representing of government data and ways of showing disaggregated data by protected characteristics. You already, of course, had one. Male versus female, and extra. Um, and the other question is the what thinking you're doing on data across government. So, for example, um, decisions in the welfare department ending up in MoJ, mm-hmm. in the courts and tribunals.
0: Thank you. And third question, just there.
2: Hi, uh, Cecilia Anderson from the Department for Transport. Um, I was just wondering what sort of engagement work you've been doing with uses of t- statistics to prepare them for. Not getting things in Excel, maybe? Um, Because I feel that the pull is very much from the customer side to get things in Excel.
7: Thank you. Excellent. Thank you. Sorry, I didn't quite catch the the context of the question. I heard Excel and then. Why is it? Okay, great. So um, I think Excel has been, and will be for quite some time, a good final step for things to take. So there are a collection of different systems across government and certainly within ONS that produce a collection of outputs, and for a long time, one of the easiest transport mechanisms for that has been Excel. Um, That's, I think, because it gives analysts a level of control over the presentation of data. Um, And as I say, uh, I don't think, I'm not saying as any part of this, that Excel is necessarily a bad idea, I just think that it doesn't have to be the only way that presenting information, and certainly things like conditional formatting within Excel actively makes it difficult to do other things with that. Um, And uh, believe me, I'm aware of time. I can talk about Excel for such a long time. Um, (laughs) On the disaggregation of data point, um, uh, so yeah, we've been thinking about that quite a lot. Um, What we're trying to do is ensure that things can be broken down by the dimensions that exist inside those data sets. at the moment, the work we're doing is around discrete data sets we're now allowed to break down individual, one, individual data sets, to, ideally to a single observation. So if there is multiple values, so um, an age range gender or whatever is in there, that you can construct a question that will give you um, just the information that you're looking for, because I'm certainly aware that um, statistics are often published as the outputs of surveys. And the surveys that are undertaken and the thing that is published it's quite difficult sometimes to have the translation of knowing what's going to be inside that and so we need to do more with that. Um, and from a cross-government point of view, um, I'm keeping the sphere of the work we're doing within statistics. There are some very clever people, quite probably clever people in this room who are looking at cross-government data things. Um, I wish them the very best with that. Um, and, <laughs> uh, and, uh, department, but, what was it? Um, So uh, we're not going to get rid of Excel. I'm I'm where I'm on the record. We are absolutely not getting rid of Excel. I want to be able to leave this building alive. Um, But from a user research point of view, um, we are spending so much time and effort engaging with our users. We try and get out um, every two weeks to do face-to-face user research around the country. It's something I'm incredibly proud that the team does. We also do quite a lot of uh, online things, multivariate testing and the likes. Um, What we're really getting is that There are a certain group of people who would like to have um, application programming interface kind of so consistent data, programmatically or machine readable. There are another group of people who want to be able to have Excel. The thing they're looking for is perhaps a little bit more consistency. So if they're taking a spreadsheet from one set of statistics and a spreadsheet from another set of statistics, that they have some greater understanding that not the information is the same, but certainly they know their way around it, and that we can make people's lives easier in the same time and effort by doing that. And also, as I very briefly mentioned, if we can do a better job of describing what's contained within a data set before you start to download it, I think that, would, that absolutely will make life easier for a lot of people and we see that time and time again through the research that we're doing. Excellent.
0: Uh, any more questions? Otherwise I will ask Andy to talk for the next three and a half minutes about Excel, because I'm sure we'd all really enjoy that. The Institute also runs an Excel. Uh, we've got a question uh, down here at the front, we've got another one there, and do we have a final question in this round? right at the back as well.
6: Hi, uh, I'm Dan Barrett. I work at the House of Parliament. Um, You talk about, um, sorry, the work with Google. How did you persuade decision makers in your organization that it was good for your data to exist on the web, rather than to exist on your organization's website as a a destination? Thank you. Uh, Then over here. Thanks. Uh, John Downing, Ofgem. Um, so a lot of the data, you know, you can provide data to someone, to someone, but it's actually a calculation in the process of creating that statistic. Is there some way that you're thinking about presenting that information to your users?
1: Excellent. And then right at the back, Matt Hurlong from Cabinet Office. Um, you talked a bit about. So, I liked your little flow diagram that, um, uh, that sort of basically is an API type environment. I wondered um, just how much engagement you're you've taken with Nomis, um because obviously. They do a lot, of, they've already done a lot of this with your existing data, and I guess, is, it, is this a, is ultimately a plan to replace, or is it sort of working in partnership, et cetera?
7: Sure, thank you. Excellent, thank you very much. Uh, so <coughs> I'll go reverse for those. So NOMIS, I am responsible for NOMIS, so yes, I absolutely work with that. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, it's a wonderful, wonderful system that has grown over a long period of time. Um, for those of you who don't know, um, uh, NOMIS is a sort of partner project that ONS and works with Durham University around um, the uh, publishing of a lot of data that started with the labour market and has been used for the publishing of some of our census data previously. Um, our goal is to publish the outputs of the next census on the ONS website um, and we're continuing to talk to our colleagues in NOMIS because they do some absolutely tremendous work. Um, full, sort of Are you talking about publishing the raw information or the kind of methodology that sits around statistics? Sure. So methodology, absolutely. We always make sure that's available. Um, What we're trying to do, uh, and I sort of covered this very much from the data angle rather than the other parts of it. That's a whole separate session if you want to book ONS for a third time, happy to do it. Um, But um, what we're trying to do within the data is make sure that there are metadata references so that when you want to get back to things like methodology, you want to get back to code lists, or any definition of the information, that there are routes to it. They are not in the same consistent shape, but it does make sure that you've always got those references to go back to. Um, uh, Excellent question on Google. Um, I think I kind of worked on the basis of trying to sell to the organization that if the sky is gonna fall in, it might as well be us who's pulling it down. So if there's going to be, if less people are going to come to our website because um, more people get information from Google, let's be the ones who are doing that, let's ensure it's not someone else's data. But also, and I think quite interestingly for us, because it's not necessarily how I expected it to work, when we were doing that piece around um, uh, working with some of the population information and thinking about how that would appear in Google and having that result, that actually has increased by about 20% the click through to our population statistics. actually the sky didn't fall in and actually it was even better in a sunny day.
0: Fantastic, thank you very much. You. As Andy says, um, ONS are the first organisation to present at two data So if you want to get competitive and overtake the ONS, please do pitch uh, to speak at the next one. Uh, next, I would like to welcome David and Luke from Bayes to the stage.
5: Okay, great. Thanks very much to the IFG for bringing us along for our first event here. Um, So I'm David. You can tell that I'm not a data scientist because I have a tie. But um, (laughs) anyway, um, I'm going to kick off with a bit of background about uh, Bayes and data science there, and then going to hand over to Luke for some of the interesting stuff. So Bayes, we're about business, promoting competitive markets and responsible business practices, about energy, making sure we ensure that we have a reliable energy and low-cost clean data supply, energy supply. And the industrial strategy, boosting productivity, getting businesses to create good jobs with investment and skills in industries. So that's a bit about Bayes. But anyway, I mean, I joined Bayes about two years ago and inherited a small data science team. And they were doing some really good stuff. Problem was it was just below the radar and So Luke was there, and I I sat down with Luke and said, what we need to do is to have a a strategy for this. So it's simple stuff, really. I mean, making sure we had expertise, maintaining and and developing our data science skills, uh, setting up a, a consultancy for data science across the department to help people to do things, building a data science community, and having the technical infrastructure so that my team could use all their clever tools and tricks. Uh, but basically, it was about picking a few projects that we could get engagement with senior people with. So that was the trick. So back to the theme of the talk. Uh, talking about tackling old problems in new ways. The department's looked at a lot of economic problems over the years. But what's changed is we've not really had enough data before to really understand and fully analyse them. There's so, so much data produced now, I and mean, it's almost like a data exhaust that comes out whenever anything happens. So even if you can't track things directly, you can track them indirectly. So, for example, diffusion of technology, you might not be able to track exactly how that's going or the people that are doing it, but you may be able to see what jobs people are taking and looking at the job adverts. So that's something we've looked at. So over to Luke.
3: OK, I'm going to take you through some uh, projects very quickly. Um, So we use machine learning uh, to uh, predict which businesses are going to grow uh, high high growth. So, this is an uh, OECD definition. Uh, this is so that policy, uh, policy colleagues can uh, target these firms if, uh, should they wish to. And so far, the model that we created is, uh, is being used in a pilot with HMRC. Uh, we also worked with the ONS uh, Data Science Campus, uh, where we looked at uh, analysing uh, patents to find out which ones are associated with uh, clean growth. Uh, The final one here is we use unsupervised machine learning to identify uh, uh, clusters within particular sectors for business. Now, uh, this is sort of built up from a bottom-up approach, and the main advantage here is that uh, we don't rely on the uh, the existing geography boundaries. We also do natural language processing. Uh, So the example here is uh, we looked at uh, job advert data and uh, what we want to find out from here is is how jobs are uh, changing over time and uh, in what regions. We also use the same sort of job advert information to uh, find out how technology gets diffused uh, through geography and by time. Uh, The other example here is where we looked at uh, uh, abstracts from applications to research council grants And from that, what we wanted to find out was what are the emerging sectors and technologies. We will build an interactive tool that allows people to sort of look for themes and also a summary of what the sort of the high levels of commercialization are, i.e. what the uh, spin-up companies are and IPs. Uh, We do data visualizations. Uh, The example uh, here is what we built for our HR team. This is on how our in-year awards are being uh, uh, given out uh, over, over the year. And also, uh, this shows any sort of uh, uh, issues with the protective characteristics. So it's easy for them to have a look at and uh, amend the, the, uh, the, the trend if necessary. Um, we also build a correspondence. Uh, a tool for our correspondence team to identify any issues, um, and the final example here sorry, is um, is a, a, tool, a dashboard that we built for uh, economic sort of reporting so this scrapes the web brings the data in and automatically updates it so um, in the morning when policy folks come in, they have this to uh, to hand um, so my final slide here is to uh, show. We, we do all this work uh, through our cloud-based analytical system, which is a, basically a platform platform for data scientists and analysts to use. It, it is uh, managed within the analytical directorate. Uh, we have a whole range of technologies here, such as shiny servers and SQL databases. Uh, we have a whole suite of analytical software, from Python to R etc and, and it's a place where we hold all the, uh, the data as well. And it's becoming quite popular, and uh, other government
5: departments are also beginning to use it now. I'm going to hand you back over to David. Thanks, Luke. Uh, I wanted to mention our um, award-winning data science mentoring scheme. So this is open to um, analysts across the department who recommend different projects that we want to have a look at. Um, and what we had is around six people in the teams and they have you know some of them have programming experience some of them have none and we pair them up with one of my experienced data scientists as a mentor so they work together over a period work on this project and then report back at the end of the period um, and you know we've seen some real benefits from this i mean partly it's tackling real issues so things that we haven't got round to before and sometimes we'll do more with them so at the moment we've got a fast stream rotation where we analyse, we move people around, and it was a very complicated, bureaucratic process. I think lots of Excel spreadsheets in there, probably. But now, the thing that we've now built allows us to run that in a much more efficient way. Um, the other thing is, it helps analysts understand the art of the possible, because data science is still quite new, so getting people to really see and use it helps build, build things up more as we move forward. Um, it helps getting everyone to work as a team. Um, And it's building up a data science community and complements other initiatives like coffee and coding and other things across the data science community. So stepping back, you know, what is different now? I mean, I think, you know, we do have loads more data than we used to have and lots of different types of data, and that's what Luke's been talking about, picking things up that we couldn't do before. We've obviously got much more faster data processing and tools, and we've got loads of techniques. I mean, I must say that... Lots of the techniques have been around before. That's not new as analysts. You know, I've learned that, ma- that sort of machine learning. Really, it's sort of logis- logistic regression, which I learned about a very, very long time ago. But anyway, I think the point really here is that data science is allowing the department to tackle old problems in new ways. And I think we must be doing something right. I have a recent piece of work we did uh, was described as superb by the cabinet secretary, and my data science team has won the Perm Sex Award for the last two years. What I'm hoping is we do it again, because my boss wants to find out whether we get to keep the trophy. <laughs> but, I mean, there's no silver bullets to this. It's probably nothing different from many of the experiences you've had, but we're very happy to answer any questions on it. Yeah, thank you.
3: Thank you very much.
0: <clears throat> and right on time as well. Um, who would like to ask a question? And again, if you're in the room next door, uh, you can come to the door and ask so we've got a question at the back. Have we got any others in this round? Let's, let's start with the first question and then see if anybody else wants to ask one.
1: Hi, I'm uh, Toby Jolly from the Cabinet Office. It's got a question on the NLP job advert, uh, project. What was the data source of that? What were the customers wanting from that project? What did you produce? Thank you very much.
0: Anybody else want to ask a question?
6: We've got one down the front. Um, Jeremy
1: Fisher
6: Jeremy Fisher from Ofgem. As you do more and more analyses and dashboards and so on, how do you keep track of what you've done so you don't reinvent the wheel in the future? Thank you.
0: And a third question, anybody? Let's get started with those two.
3: Shall I take the first one? Yeah. yeah. So um, to answer your question, the data sources is burning glass. So they... Um, They collect all sort of job-advert data and make it available uh, for us to use. And uh, the main uses for customers is, um, well, they want to sort of look at certain uh, areas, uh, certain sectors. Uh, So we built them a a dashboard, uh, there's a screenshot of that. So they can actually look at different dimensions. Um, So one example was looking at uh, the the SOC codes. So you can go down different SOC codes and see how, you know. The, the actual job set for advertised over time, time.
5: So it is a bit of an experimental tool. Second one, sure. yeah? If I don't mind. I oh, I'll do it. that's fine. I, mean, I mean, just on part of that, I mean, I think, you know, it's interesting with the different projects we're involved with and the criteria as to how we choose some of them. Sometimes it is about doing something slightly different and trying to build up different ideas across the team. Um, and, you know, we encourage people to do that and spend some time looking at different things. I think I worry a bit as managing it, is making sure we're doing things you know, we're learning and we're, we're gaining stuff from that. So the important part is we've had to bring in a bit of project management around that just to make sure we know when a project starts and when a project finishes. Because, you know, as soon as something good's delivered, people want to just do a little bit more and do that. So, we, so we're trying to get a bit of discipline around that. Um, and so we do know what it is. We share that within the team and, and share those experiences around um, so that the team can see what's been done and how we can redevelop that. Did there's anything more you wanted to add, Lou.
3: Um, yeah.
5: Great.
0: Uh, any more questions? We've got one there. Anybody else? Uh, we've got one down here, and another one down here, and I think we've got one
6: at the door as well. So let's let's take all four. Why not? Uh, how much are you linking up with other departments? Because it seems there's a lot of uh, there'd be a lot of interest in this kind of approach, and probably people taking similar approaches in other departments. So how much cross-government working
5: are you manage, managing to get going? Thank you. And we've
0: got two down
7: here. Um, when you're working in the way that you are, in a in sort of an internal consultancy almost, for the different people around you, what do you do in terms of data governance to make sure everything you've got is uh, in order? Because I know it can get pretty messy pretty quickly.
0: Thank you. Um, Regarding, so I'm with a uh, finance and accountancy training body, ACCA, so I'm just wondering in terms of your machine learning work, um, are you using any data relevant to, to financial data or are finance and accounting staff and government using some other type of machine learning outputs in any way at the moment? Thank you. And final question from the door.
6: I am Daniel Zeichner, MP for Cambridge, and I chair the All Party Group on Data Analytics in Parliament. It's actually the same question as the first question. David Sainsbury, some years ago, I think, observed that um, research across government departments was fragmented, uncoordinated, and often duplicated. Um, is it any better now? And how exactly is the first questioner asked? Do you avoid that?
5: Thank you very much. Okay. Thanks. I'll take the first one around working with other government departments. I mean, we do. Is the answer to that? I mean, there's always more you can do, but indeed, the project there around um, data enabled change, looking at um, using HMRC data and ONS data, you know, that was very much we we use data we have from ONS, we worked on the data set. I mean, you know, as with this, you spend a lot of time on the data, probably 80% of the time is sorting out the database. And we've improved that, we've made that available to others, and we've worked with ONS on the data science campus. So we join up, and the data scientists actually are very very sociable bunch and, and link up across government using Slack and all these other technologies. That, so there, there is a, a, a big link across departments. And I do think that data science is much more open than maybe some other professions have been in the past. You know, The idea of sharing data and using, using code. Whereas you know, when I started, maybe people were a bit more protective about what they did. and you know, The power was in that they had got this particular map that they were going to show, and they were going to not let anyone else see it. Whereas now we see power in reusing things. So I wouldn't say it's sorted, but you know, we, we're very keen to try and tackle that. Should I do the data governance one? I don't know quite what the answer is, so that's why I'm going to take it. I think my, my, my slight excuse here would be as head of profession for statistics, I care a lot about the data in the department, so I make sure we're doing sensible things. I think the thing I would say that's quite interesting is that sometimes there are tensions between the way that statistics have been done in the past and the, the official way that we do things, and, you know, there's a really high, high bar for getting things out of trustworthiness, quality and value is things we worry about to do with statistics. And I really want us to make sure we do that correctly. But there's loads of other information that we can use that can also add value, and so that's why we do all this stuff and we bring these other things together. So, you know, there, there's a judgement call over whether we're getting something that's useful out of it. But I think there is a danger sometimes of over, being overprotected with data.
3: And the third one, you have to answer your question now. So we don't use financial data in our machine learning. We use government sort of admin data sources. And for the example that I talked about, um, we use sort of the, the turn, some turnover information and employment figures. So um, but it's something that we really like to get into. But at the moment, most of our admin sources are, uh, don't actually include the financial data.
0: I've uh, got time for another question. Um, yes, let's take it from
6: down here. Jeremy Fisher from Ofgem. Um, I think you forgot about my question because it was a bit boring, but I asked about um, <laughs> I asked about how you keep track of what you've done and find it so that you don't reinvent the wheel. Thank you. Okay.
3: So we have a uh, sorry about that. I uh, <laughs> didn't have it written down as well. Um, so we, uh, we have a good sort of our project management system, where we, uh, when projects, when we do projects, we um, uh, basically record it. Who is done for what? The outputs are. We also ha- I use GitLab for our code control, and so um, as as a team, I make sure that we uh, sort of keep that learning, and we always try to reuse it for other projects. So uh, there is it, it's to answer the question. It is through proper documentation and also knowledge sharing. So uh, we don't usually have one person just working on one project and we close it off. We make sure that uh, at least two or three people are familiar with that project so we can
5: actually use it. So what we really need is a really good Excel spreadsheet. So I don't know if you could. <laughs> <try> <laughs> one for me. That, would, that would be great.
0: Excellent. Well, David and Nick, thank you very much indeed. Uh, So, our final speaker tonight is Yvonne Gallagher from the National Audit Office.
2: Thank you. Um, My background is in... It's really interesting for me to hear other people's um, different uh, take on data. Uh, My background, really, a career of 25 years in data, technology, um, business change. And what I have been doing in the last five years at the NAO Is looking across government in terms of what they're trying to do around digital transformation, how they're using new tools, how are they trying to modernise. So what we have recently done and what I was just going to talk to you about tonight is we've just completed um, a study on government data and I think the the issue with this is that we've called it the challenges of using data across government um, but it's intended to be a supportive piece for those dealing with data and government. People are often quite amazed at this. Um, don't expect the NAO to be doing uh, supportive pieces of work, but we actually do that quite often. Um, so, and one of the things that, that we found is that there's a lot of talk now about um, that somehow departments and government and public sector are failing to really get the benefits out of its data. So in other words, it could do more on open data, more on data sharing, better services. But the benefits of these things are talked about as if they're there for the taking. And, but actually, there's a big issue with the existing data and the current provenance of government data. It, none of those things are easy to do. And there are lots of blockers and constraints which are both not understood and ignored. And that's one of the things that um, our report was focused on. We looked at the scope of looking at data across government obviously is huge. And what we, we didn't want to look at performance management data and MI um, or data for policy. We wanted to focus on the, the view from the citizen point of view So, this is operational citizen data in government and and how it is, what it does to support services. We scoped the work by really looking at what we thought were three things across government that are, are not necessarily doing all the right things to help with this agenda. So, that is, we looked at strategy and leadership, The data systems and processes themselves and the culture and the environment. And what we found is some really good things have been done. Um, We were very interested to find that historically some great strategies and work um, on data and setting out the hurdles to overcome from 1999 onwards are all still valid now, they could be written today. Um, and of course, that begs the question, none of these things have happened. So, strategies from 99, no, none of those things... So, 20 years on, things are still the same with regards to data in government. Um, in these, we found things like um, local data sharing, big focus on, on sharing data. And, but these are all, like, small initiatives that people are trying to do in departments where priorities are allowed and funding is available. So basically, what's the problem? And I think the problem has to start with the fact that government is a legacy environment. Um, It has, a lot of the data was captured 20 and 30 years ago. It's often out of date, inaccurate, inconsistent, which leads to poor quality data that lacks integrity. And quite often, this data then is stored in systems that are really hard to change, legacy systems that have been around for years. And so the data then isn't like data in new retail services where customers make sure they update their change address for delivery purposes and routinely keep their payments up to date. A lot of this, government um, citizens don't really contact government or have a need to on, on any kind of frequent basis. Um, so, there's a lot of talk about new technology and technology sweeping in to solve problems. But with data like this, if you, for instance, layer AI on top of this data, what conclusions are you likely to draw? So, really, the, we found then that the operation systems require armies of people and convoluted processes to deal with data. And all of this has become normalized. So you can look at customer services centers and they sit there with a couple of screens trying to answer single queries from customers. And we have have looked at departments. They have big data scientists teams um, and they have quoted to us Um, statistics like 80% of their data scientists spend their time mashing the data around, so trying to get it to to join it up, to try and check its accuracy before they can layer on any of the tools. So the data sharing that that everybody would like to see more of, often this takes months for, for departments to to create MOUs where they're going to share with another department. And also, they're worried about sharing raw data because quite often they need these people and processes to adjust the data because they know that system, something has come out of it which says it has 100 widgets, but actually they know from experience that that always means 100 minus 20. So given raw data out for stats purposes or even open data, isn't just a straightforward issue. Um, so, as you can see in this picture as well, there's multiple responsibilities right across government um, for people trying to or charged with um, uh, having some kind of accountability for, for data. But there isn't really any single cross-government lead on this. And, and finally, one of the things, there are no agreed cross-government standards so there are many types of different standards but even by basic customer data standards don't exist so I'm going to skip that one and on this one this is really um, this is just illustrative so in the systems across government citizens names can be held differently even within the same departments and often without out-of-date addresses but this table illustrates that just some of the even the different um, department identifiers that exist. So none of this makes data sharing easy. Um, so finally, we have specific recommendations in our report when it comes out on the 21st of June, but a few areas to focus on. It's really about identifying what are these problems that need to be solved and are really important to fix with the data and government. And this should not be about a technology solution looking at a problem this is about what is the problems what's the biggest priorities for government uh, in addressing this and where to start and the culture must change to recognize the need to do something about the underlying data and then it needs the skills and capability to figure out what to do Thank you very much Yvonne.
0: So any questions, lots to dig into there. So we've got Ian over there, I've got Jeremy down here, we've got, actually let's do the four of you in one go. So let's start with you, or let's start with Ian, then you, then you, then
6: you. Hello, my name's Ian from Spend Network. One of the, we work a lot with procurement data, and one of the biggest challenges we have is that the data isn't provided by a single entity, um, and so we get really poor quality data from some people and okay data from others and it struck me that one of the biggest challenges is leadership around data quality but also I mean we don't even have a register of entities for public bodies we don't have a register for public bodies and that kind of leadership really is lacking I wondered what you thought about that and whether you're making any recommendations about that thank you Uh, Joe Baker from Convivio. Uh,
4: I wonder whether the problems you've highlighted here are,
6: the, are shared in the devolved administrations who, to a degree, are creating their government from scratch, whether this is something just for the, the UK national government.
0: Thank you. And if we come to the front here, and then we'll come here.
7: Uh, James Hutchings, Department for Transport. <clears throat> um, I was just wondering whether you did any comparison to private sector? Um, in that if you say 80% of data scientists' time is cleaning the data, that is everywhere in the world. That's not a public sector-specific issue.
0: Thank you. And finally, down here.
6: Jeremy Fisher from Ofgem. Um Similar to the um, second question, I wonder if you've gained any inspiration from what other countries are doing and how they are doing things better than us.
0: Fantastic, we'll try to get one more round in so we'll take a question from the door and start the next round and then Do think if you want to ask any more questions again the gender balance of questions has been terrible tonight So um, have a think while you're listening to Yvonne
2: Uh, Right, so just to go to the procurement data question um, So you have totally recognized the problem that you you talk about which is no single entity Um, nothing is drawing that together and the, there is no leadership there so certainly in our report when it comes out we talk about this lack of leadership and it goes back to the point that i was making earlier there are a lot of things to do that need fixing um, to as as enablers to so much more efficiency in government and i think that's that's one of the area we don't make we don't um focus hugely on procurement but i certainly recognize the problem um, the devolved administration starting from scratch. I think the one of the things that um, when government data started off 30 years ago, they started off with the basic things like data modeling, data standards, data catalogs and built their systems. This is worldwide, not just in government. Um, And but we've lost the ability to do all of that because Legacy systems haven't really been touched over the last 30 years, they've been changed. So it's all about changing, tweaking, um, and, but, but pretty much staying with the existing systems that are there. So I think any opportunities to start from scratch where you haven't got the, the legacy data is absolutely an opportunity to do it properly from scratch rather than you are starting with legacy data and you have to then do it properly because there's a whole migration issue from you've got legacy um, how are you running your legacy and how are you starting something new so in theory it's easier much easier but in reality that needs to be done properly Um, the third question the private sector 80 percent of data cleaning i think there's um in the private sector There's a lot of parallels with financial services. They really started off their big services at the same time in government 20 or 30 years ago, big mainframes, big personal data and financial processing. Um, So I think there's something about the type of cleanup that, that has to be done in old legacy systems with a lot of personal data. So for instance, if you are clearing up or you're, you're trying to do something with personal data that you're trying to spot a trend then your cleanup is, is kind of limited you don't have to get it 100 percent correct if you are trying to join up data from um, with a patient data you've got data from a gp a hospital a local authority and whatever you can't have half a patient's data mixed in with somebody else so, so the extent of that 80% of data cleanup really varies according to what it is you're trying to do. Um, and then have we looked at other countries? I think to some extent, whenever, whenever other countries are talked about, it's always about Estonia. Um, so but Estonia started from scratch, and that is the difference. So all those examples that you hear about Estonia, they're great, they did this, they did that. They didn't have a legacy.
1: Fantastic.
0: More than an hour into the event before we mentioned Estonia tonight. I think that's a record. Um, so we'll take the first question from the door. We do have uh, time for others. Yes, we'll take one from Catherine, and we'll take one from the door. And we might even fit one in from the very back as well. So ask quick questions,
1: we might get lots more in. Hi, Tim Gordon, Best Practice AI. You talked to, you've laid out a very clear sort of challenge that needs to be handled at obviously at a very high profile level. Does the country need a minister for data?
2: Does, sorry, does the country?
1: need a minister for data. Okay.
2: Thank you. Hi. Um, this isn't meant to sound impertinent, but I'm just wondering, do you think we're at a tipping point now? Um, or is this going to be just another addition to the timeline of strategies that have not delivered any changes kind of long
7: term? Thank you.
3: That
6: Uh, I'm going to have a cheeky two
7: questions, because one of them is very similar to this gentleman's here. If not, a Minister for Data, Chief Data Officer as a member of the civil service. Um, And then the other one is about, you talked about leadership for uh,
1: data a lot. What incentives do you think we need to give civil servants in order to make them want to be responsible for data?
0: Thank you, and very quickly, right at the back.
1: Um, Actually, I'll I'll leave it as a comment rather than a question. Because uh, of your, your point about Estonia, actually, um, it was to reflect on um, Denmark. So one of the things you talked about was all the personal record, all the different databases and like, records. And obviously, you've got a big issue in this country about sort of creating a single giant database of everything or having the ability to link. Um, and what Denmark have actually did was it outsourced all their identity provision to, to the banks. So basically you have to use your, your online banking sort of ID to, to link all your, all your government services and things like that. But it's so just one of those things that you might want to go and have a look at.
0: Thank you.
2: So the Minister for Data and I think then the follow-on question with the Chief Data Officer, um, as part of doing this piece of work, This was actually a question that we were very keen on asking and getting views on. Um, And I think in the end, what we came down to was really the important thing is is somebody, um, and we, we intend to help kind of move that forward a bit, but it's about defining what exactly needs to be done and how it needs to be done and then who needs to do it. So definitely the, the principle, which is we need a champion here and a very strong champion. And, and actually, John Manzoni, has, he, ha, he has recognised this, this issue. Um, he is trying to push the whole data agenda forward, but it's a right across the piece. And the culture in departments who have so many priorities, funding issues, um, data isn't sufficiently brought up the agenda. And I think that brings me on to the question about incentives um, and what incentives do people need. And I think well, one of the things is that the biggest incentive in government is about anything that's quantified in financial terms. So if the inefficiencies around the way that the government business was performed and it was quantified in financial terms, and the, the cost for all those people, all those processes that, that are involved in just trying to get the data working well, um, that would be a huge incentive. So, uh, but there is, there are, there is no, there's no quantification so far of, of what this means. Um, and then the, the tipping point, I think the, what we aren't actually saying um, this is a new strategy, it's definitely not a new strategy, and we're saying no more strategies. It's about practical um, plans to, to start tackling this. You know, if we'd tackled, if we'd started even slowly 20 years ago with the first strategy of addressing some of the issues, we'd be in a really good place now. So it's kind of, could we just start? This is a big, it's an elephant that needs to be bitten off in chunks. So we just need to start with those first bites. Um, and, and I think the, the whole thing about um, data, I think it, it's really interesting. And I think my point about tools, um, so the, there's a lot of focus. And the other thing that we, we came across is there's no appetite to fix all of this. It's really hard, but tools, analytics robotics ai um, they are really they take the imagination and certainly you know my point earlier about um, if you are laying ai over this data in government what conclusions do you draw from it so and i think that's that's a key point about, about new technology on the state of the data and then i think the point about denmark and and ids I think that's absolutely right. Um, There's lots of way of addressing IDs. I think that DCMS now are starting to have another look at that. Um, But certainly, in terms of data sharing, all the time we, we have this thing where if everybody's name and address was accurate, you could match them easily. If identifiers were accurate, that could help. But otherwise, at the moment, we still haven't moved forward with that. Thank you very much, Yvonne.
0: Lots, lots of things to digest over wine and nibbles, and I won't keep you from that for much longer. Uh, just a few very quick parish notices. As I said, we'll be back again, hopefully, on the 3rd of July for the next Data bites. Some more brilliant speakers lined up, but we do need some sponsorship, so please do find me afterwards if you might be interested uh, We'll, we'll take whatever we can, um, <laughs> and all that is left for me to say really is thank you very much for being such a great audience tonight, and a huge thank you and a huge round of applause, uh, round of applause for our brilliant speakers. Thank you very much. Indeed.